0: His own
1: free will. I'm
0: talking about your man.
1: Go to work all day in the mine in the mill. You think I give a damn? Why would he trade the sunshine? Tell him how it is, brother. For a couple of nickels and dimes. Go up on top. A man can breathe when he's living it, living it up. Picking fruit in the ocean trees. Living it up on top. No one here is a millionaire, but we're living it, living it up. What we have. To share, Woo. Living it up on top. Well, come on, so brother, give me a lyre and a campfire and an open field at night. Give me the sky that you can't buy or sell at any price, and I'll give you a song for free. That's how life ought to be. So that's how I'm living it. Ah, I living it. living it, living it up. My brother, right here, we're living it We're Living it up on top. And welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, April 21st, 2019. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a theater journalist and historian with a number of books. His most recent is The Great Parade, which is available everywhere. His play, God Shows Up, began performances on April 6th and at the Actors Temple Theater on 47th Street and has an opening night on May 13th. It's coming up soon, Peter his columns Indeed. appeared MTI Masterworks Broadway Broadway Select and many other places Peter you were uh, last week last week were you in Texas i, I forget
2: yeah, I was in San Antonio to judge their version of the Jimmy Awards. Um, the two kids oh. will now come to New uh-huh. York as a result of uh, the four judges who were there. And I have to tell you that the talent was extraordinary beyond belief. And not only that, I adored what the material that so many of the kids did because they certainly did not neglect the golden age. Um, it takes a woman, ribbons down my back, so long, dearie. There's got to be something better than this. Coffee break you 've got possibilities, I mean really, this is on <laughs> Broadway long ago, and it 's so nice to see them acknowledging that um, and what I heard and I want to ask our, our our listeners this because i don 't know if this is true, and I wonder if any of you can help me on this. I overheard that one of the reasons that the arts are so strong in Texas is because for every dollar that the government uh, gives to football or any sports they have to give that a same amount to the arts is really? this true is this true huh. um if we have any listeners in texas who know anything about this i'd love to hear if this is true and i'd love to hear that it is true so uh do let me know but it, it certainly would explain why the talent level was so high so amazingly high in san antonio so a terrific time was had by all four judges the
1: three of us uh, got a chance this week to see an alumni of the Jimmy Awards, even with yes. Zeta at uh, yes. Town. But we will get into that in a few minutes. Mm. Of course, that wonderful voice you just heard was Michael Portantier. Michael uh-huh. is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at followspotphoto.com. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Good morning. As we alluded to, the three of us got a chance to see the Broadway transfer of Hadestown, which made a uh, circuitous route from downtown the New York Theatre Workshop up to Canada by way of London and back now into Midtown. That's a hell of an Uber ride. So Peter, get us started on Hadestown. What are your thoughts?
2: Well, uh, first off, the music is spectacular beyond belief. Uh, this <laughs> composer, um, Aeneas, is that how it's pronounced? Mitchell? Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, what a talent for music. Now, it's not show music. It doesn't sound like you've got possibilities or a coffee break, but uh, it's intoxicating music, and one song that follows the other is just amazing to the ears. The bad news is, um, and so many people know where I'm going already, um, I don't think I've ever heard worse craft in a musical in terms of rhymes and uh, stresses uh, on syllables. Uh, This woman makes Stephen Sater look like Stephen Sondheim. I doubt, seriously, that 15% of the score uh, rhymes. So um, I did have a problem there. Okay. Um, And that's going to impact my listening to the cast album. I wish they would the... We were still in that era where they had these orchestral albums of musicals because I would listen to that morning, noon, afternoon, and night, believe me. But, uh, all right, what about the show itself? Well, this is a variation on the Orpheus and Eurydice tale, um, and uh, what it is is very effective to watch. However, I don't believe it's emotionally involving, and I don't really care about the couple, So uh, even though they're nicely played by Reeve Carney and especially Abel Nobozada, who, again, is um, just proving that even at the tender age she is, and what is she now? She's not quite 25, I'm sure, um, how spectacular she is. Um, so she really, really has this character so under her belt, and so sincere, and so warm, and so winning—a terrific performance. And um, I do look forward to her getting a lot of nominations in the weeks to come. So, uh, also wonderful to see is Andre de Shields, um, who suddenly, essentially, celebrating his 45th year um, in show business. It was right around this time, 45 years ago, he was auditioning and got the part of the Wiz in The Whiz, and uh, he's been around ever since, here and there and everywhere Um, I've seen him in regional theater Uh, I've certainly seen him on Broadway Um, I've seen him on tour, and it's really quite wonderful to see him play the narrator uh, with such uh, wonderfully, uh, well, how can I put it, shall I say um, serene gusto Uh, that certainly seems like an oxymoron, I'll grant you, but um, anyway, he's wonderful when I walked in, I had forgotten that Rachel Chafkin had uh, directed it, and um, It wasn't long into the show when I I said, oh, this must be Rachel Chapkin," And indeed it is, because um, we do have the same feelings um, for her direction here, uh, her spectacular direction, spectacular direction. I mean, I I don't know how she put it all together in making it happen. But um, it's certainly something that I wondered um, about before about (laughs) Rachel Chapkin's work. And um, I've been overwhelmed by her. Um, it, it, ever since uh, I saw the the first iteration of mm-hmm. Natasha Pierre. But um, if you like the staging of Nash- Natasha and Pierre, not that this is as complicated, you're certainly going to like this. And um, this lady, I mean, we often hear traffic cop used as a, an expression um, for uh, directors uh, who have to have a number of people on stage and doing a million things. Well, that was certainly true of uh, Natasha Pierre. Well, at least 1812 things she had people doing well here it isn't as complicated i'll grant you but it still is terrific so so what we have here is a, an extraordinarily entertaining evening um not emotionally involving uh, certainly not lyric involving but other than that if you can get past that you're going to have quite a good time at hadestown
1: okay michael what did you think
2: Wow, I strongly agree and strongly disagree with various
0: parts of that. Uh, I completely agree about the music. I think it's absolutely gorgeous i don't I don't think it's what I expected. Um, I had heard that there was a general New Orleans kind of uh setting and tinge to and style to the show uh but I didn't hear anything further than that uh so i didn't really think it through as to what kind of music i was going to be hearing i I think i expected more of a rock musical but i would say there's very little in it that would be uh characterized as rock uh there's pop uh but but a lot of it is a beautiful wonderful uh very rich uh, amalgamation of i would say jazz a lot of jazz uh you know there's even a there's a trombone on stage and and uh along with the rest of the orchestra. Um uh, there's some blues type music and a little bit of folk and uh it's 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 kind of own a, a mixture of different styles that becomes its own musical language and I loved it. I have to say the lyrics did not bother me at all. I and I'm usually sensitive to that rhyme thing with with Peter but I I don't know it just uh first of all I I didn't notice that many false rhymes, and I don't think I noticed any uh, incorrect stresses. So I'm I'm not sure why we had such a different reaction to that specific thing. Um, this is an incredible production. I I would say that you know i I don't usually handicap this category but if bradley king does not win the tony for lighting design it will be a crime the lighting is absolutely phenomenal it's uh, the show basically has a unit set and it does occasionally do some some interesting things but for the most part it it remains the same throughout the show and uh you know, and you might think that would be a handicap because it's trying to portray all of these different locales, including the underworld. <laughs> uh, but I, but the lighting works in concert with the set, uh, which, um, by the way, is by the set design is by Rachel Hawk uh, to create this. in These unbelievable uh, shifts of of mood and locale, and and you always feel like you know where you are and and everything looks just the way it should. Um, The cast is absolutely phenomenal, Ava Noblezada. Yeah, we were trying to figure out uh, Peter and James. Um, It it was not that long ago that she was in the Jimmy Awards, and and, uh, Mm -hmm. P.S. did not win, right? Right, finished second. Finished second, and then of course she was snatched from that uh, to do Miss Saigon, and and then this is her follow up. So she certainly uh, can't can't be twenty five, and is probably maybe even a few years uh, younger than that. Um, and to have her, you know, on on stage with. Andre DeShield's an honored veteran like that, who's you know gets to create this fabulous role in a new Broadway musical at this point in his career, uh, it, it's just uh, uh, it, it's overwhelming, really. Uh, uh, Reeve Carney, I have you know, I, I don't think he had actually. Um, I don't think that Spider-Man was much of a showcase for him. Uh, uh, you know, and and the material in this show is so far superior. And he really runs with it. his He, he sings in this ethereally beautiful falsetto for much of the evening. And it's absolutely gorgeous. Amber Gray uh, was great in in the Great Comet, and I think even better in this show. Patrick Page singing you know in, in you know as hades in th- this subterranean bass register uh, o- through a great deal of the show makes an, an, an incredible impression and is so perfectly cast um uh, what el- what else thrilled me about this uh, oh Gosh, yeah, no, I'm going to have to Uh, disagree about uh, the emotional stuff. Um, uh, I mean, I I do think that there is a a distancing. uh, aspect of the way uh, that the show is presented. It, it, it's it's very presentational. It's narrated uh, to, to a certain degree. And, uh, you know, the Andre de Chiel's character, uh, uh, Hermes, steps out and, and talks to the audience at many points, uh, usually in rhyme couplets or rhymed verse anyway. Um, and uh, I, I did sometimes feel like there was almost a Brechtian – Thing going on to a certain extent, but for all of that, uh, oh my gosh! When um, when the climactic moment happened uh, during uh, the scene where uh, Eurydice is following uh, Orpheus up from the underworld, the audience absolutely gasped, and I, I, I for one, I'm, I'm, I was crying at the end. I really was, um, and and there was uh, you could you i think you could you could hear a pin drop in the audience at that moment and the the very silent, uh, very quiet scene that immediately follows it. Uh, this is one of the most extraordinary things I've seen lately, and and one of the... I can't remember the last show where I, I said to myself, I cannot wait to get this cast album. I understand that there is a previously existing cast album, or a, or, or a concept album. This may- town had a number of recordings before
1: the Broadway production. Oh, In 2010, there was a concept recording released by Anais Mitchell, with Mitchell's singing some of the tracks along with Annie DiFranco and Greg Brown, among others. Mitchell then re-recorded some songs for her 2014 album, ZOA. A live cast recording of the New York Theatre Workshop production was released in 2017. There was also a four-track EP entitled Why We Build the Wall as a promo of the live album. While there's no official announcement of the Broadway cast recording, it is widely expected that there will be a new recording forthcoming.
0: Well, it's, it's just beautiful. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it harkens, it's, it's brilliantly creative, but it harkens back to some beloved musicals, including rent and the fantastics. Uh, I love the, the combination of the Orpheus and Eurydice myth with the Hades and Persephone myth. Uh, I don't know if that's ever been done before, uh, but they actually really go together. I think beautifully. Um, the the way that uh this show deals with climate change uh you know climate change it, it, you know in antiquity used to be caused by the gods or devils and now it's man that's doing it but it's still climate change and so it it, it takes on a whole new meaning when they sing about that and of course the you know with this Hades character being very, very Trumpian and talking about building a wall. It's a song, which by the way, was written years before uh, that person, you know, ever broached such an idea. Uh, it, I, 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 I was amazed by this show. I, I was thrilled by it. I never dreamed that I would love it so much. And I, the person I went with said, he's going to get rush tickets for next week.
1: So um, a few things that I wanted to ask both of you. Did uh, did you guys see it in New York Theatre Workshop?
2: No. Uh-huh. I you did. did. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I think it works much better here. First off um, – it wasn't quite a... It's funny because Rachel Chapkin had to adapt her staging when um, the off-Broadway, Natasha, moved to Broadway and <laughs> had a couple of stops in between. She had to do it here, too. It wasn't done as a proscenium situation. It, kind of it was, but it it was almost circle in the squarey type thing. Almost. They built uh, these um, rickety uh, wooden um, bleacher-type things that she had to send them, terribly uncomfortable. and so much better to be in the curve for that reason alone. But... Um, but, yes, I did see it there, and um, it was very apparent to me there, the things that I felt there, I, I, I felt here, that um, the music was just amazing. Um, Michael, um, I'll look forward to your report when you get the cast album see if you um, stick to that opinion that um, the, the <laughs> rhymes aren't there.
0: Well, <laughs> as see. I say, I mean, you and I are usually on the same page when we are. Yeah, so I, I, I don't know are. what to say.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> So um the other thing that I wanted to uh point out was that when when Orpheus in the end of the second act was uh well the middle of two thirds of the way through the second act uh writes his song and and that scene that follows with uh Patrick Page as Hades uh and uh Amber Gray as Persephone um he he um that reconciliation there I, I my Michael, my heart was in my throat. I, yes, I just, I, 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 it was. It was electric.
2: It I'm was sorry electric. I didn't mention Patrick Page because, whoa, he has a deep, deep voice which he uses spectacularly well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> spectacularly uh, well. And Michael, if uh, you or actually
1: the listeners are really uh, would you know like to revisit the music of mm-hmm. Hadestown, Town right now, you can play the entire live album off of the com website uh you mean the original the uh i think it's the live production oh okay uh and uh and, and there have been considerable changes um that have been documented. Um, there's a couple of uh, podcasts I'm going to recommend right now. Let me grab that information. Billboard on Broadway has a podcast, uh, and they did a Hades Town episode where they had Anais Mitchell, director Rachel Chavkin, and Patrick Page and Amber Gray sat down and uh, talked about the uh, how Hades Town came in uh, the path of. How it happened. Uh, mm-hmm. I, it's a really wonderful fifty minutes uh, to um, to listen to. If you're interested in that type of thing, and also the Hadestown Town website, as I mentioned, uh, is also um, is also a, a great way to uh, uh, re- revisit uh, this show. I think I, I felt as though that. Uh, other shows that I had been to that have been huge smashes, like uh, the producers and to Hamilton and to mm-hmm. uh, uh, Phantom of the Opera and Les Mis, and it, it, that excitement was at the theater at the Kerr. And I think yes. that this is going to be uh, uh, a real big winner uh, financially, at least, uh, and I think it's going to win a ton of awards uh, just to. Wrap it up in a bow, even though evil New Zeta is um, twenty three years old oh uh, thanks she won the Jimmy Award in two thousand and thirteen she went came on in to yes came in oh, that, i'm sorry she performed at the jimmy, jimmy <laughs> awards came came in second the world won in two thousand and thirteen when she <laughs> when she performed um, she did Saigon in London in two thousand and fourteen and two thousand and seventeen on broadway uh, and i I think that this is uh Quite a um, uh, quite a journey that this this young woman has been on at twenty three, uh, and my wife last night when we were watching Hades Town, she was like she uh, you know she could be a pop star diva and she hasn't gone that route and stayed with uh, Broadway, which is really wonderful. I I don't have. <laughs>
0: On the the awards note, and and just very quickly because we can't get into it, maybe we will in a few weeks, but there is some – possible controversy or question as to whether the score might actually not be eligible because of its history. But I can't imagine that they will will rule it ineligible. So uh, so if that does happen, I'm sure you'll hear from us again. (laughs) But I don't think that's going to happen.
1: I mentioned that I was going to recommend two podcasts. The other podcast is a new podcast called Bottomless Broadway. Uh, Bottomless Broadway had a deep dive on Hadestown as well. The, the two women who host Bottomless Broadway just are huge fans of the show and have deconstructed it in all its different versions. So if you're a fan of Hadestown or really want to find out more about it, check out Bottomless Broadway as well. All right. So um, next up, the three of us got a chance to go see Burn This over at the Hudson Theatre. So, uh, Michael, why don't you get a start on Burn This?
0: Uh, Yes, this is a play that originally was on Broadway in 1987, and it's by Lanford Wilson. And uh, I have always thought of this play as very watchable, but uh, I I suppose more uh, successful as a vehicle for wonderful actors than – necessarily as a as a play in itself it's it's a character study i would say and uh and it does provide a lot of opportunities for people who have a lot of stage presence and a lot of ability uh in comic and dramatic acting and um i had forgotten how long it is (laughs) um yeah, I, uh, I I, and it came back to me because this is the third production I've seen of it. Uh, I saw the original, was lucky enough to see the original with John Malkovich and Joan Allen and Lou Liberatore. And uh, then there was the off-Broadway uh, production with Edward Norton, which <laughs> was in uh, in some ways, I would say, maybe the best of the three that I saw. And now we have Adam Driver and Kerry Russell uh, with David Furr and Brandon Uranowitz, um, in this current production that's at the Hudson theater, and uh, it's it, it, I, so I, I felt pretty much the the way I remember feeling originally. Adam Driver, um, certainly certainly comes through uh, the role of pale. Is a, is a very, very showy role. It's the kind of role that I think a lot of actors would kill for. And he knocks it out of the park. Carrie um, Russell, um, I, I believe has not gotten as quite a good response uh, uh, in her role uh, of Anna that, that, adam has gotten or or, uh, the other two cast members but um and it's interesting i uh, when the play started i thought oh gosh you know she seems like she's not completely comfortable uh and then as the performance went on i really started to like her so i think maybe it's it's sheer lack of stage acting experience um and the more she does uh the better she will be but I, i i think she really uh, does have a lot of talent in that area. She she certainly projected well. Uh, it just, uh, to me, it seemed like it was a question of focus sometimes. She wasn't 100% there all the time. Uh, Brandon Uranowitz was <laughs> really delightful um, in the role of her roommate, Larry. And uh, David Fur was perfectly cast uh, as her boyfriend, Burton. Uh, this is a story about a woman who is grieving because her uh, her other... Uh, roommate, has been killed in a boating accident with his male lover, and uh, she is really, really bereft about it. Uh, And then, uh, just to complicate matters, uh, the dead young man's brother shows up, and that's Pale, and he is just this insane person from new jersey <laughs> who uh, this force of nature type and he upends her life and then uh we see this attraction uh this uh, attraction between opposites start to grow very quickly and the question is whether they are going to end up together and she is going to leave her boyfriend uh, and i i would say that uh this is a very well done production overall scenic design by Derek McLean, costume design, Clint Ramos lighting design, Natasha Katz. The, the, the set of Anna's loft is beautiful and there's a gorgeous snow effect towards the end that you can look forward to. Um, I, uh, I was very happy to, to see the play again. Uh, and it did strike me that it is overwritten. Uh, I'm, Wish that that had been addressed uh, originally, because Landford Wilson, unfortunately, is no longer with us to address it. And I'm sure that uh, other people don't really feel comfortable in in cutting it on their own. Um, so, but it's still, you know, for despite that flaw, it's it's really worthwhile, uh, especially as I said, as a vehicle for actors. And uh, thanks, thank you to Adam Driver for coming back uh, to the theater. I saw him. I think I saw one of the f- very first things he did and maybe the first thing he did off Broadway uh, quite some years ago. uh, And obviously before all the, uh, before all the TV and movie work and, um, and Carrie Russell uh, again, I'm really glad that she's on Broadway also. And I really do think that all she needs is some more time on stage to be a really wonderful stage actress.
1: Okay. Peter, what did you think about it?
2: well, what I found fascinating from uh, the first second is that, um, I knew we weren't in 2019 <laughs> because, um, Anna is smoking indoors. Um, now granted it's her own home. Uh, the loft that she rents with uh, Larry and that she used to rent with, um, Robbie, the, um, the, uh, dancer whom, uh, Michael alluded to who had died uh, with his lover, in fact, on in a freak accident. So, um, and uh, people do smoke in times of stress. Uh, people who smoke smoke in times of stress. And um, so, but it, it was amusing to me that that actually set me way back when, um, because I'm not sure that would quite happen today. Uh, I, I don't understand why this play um, has had three productions in the last... Uh, third of a century uh i i I think it's fine but i'm amazed that people Mm. go to it and i guess the reason must be because that character of pale uh is something an actor wants to sink his teeth into and um oh i'm sure that's why yeah uh (laughs) but you know uh and and i do have to appreciate the fact that um the direction here has Brandon Uranowis playing the gay character as a human being first. I uh, know he has a lot of Neil Simon-ish one-liners, a lot of them, and he delivers them so honestly mm-hmm. and so wonderfully as if they're truly natural speech and not wisecracks and uh, so it's a very successful performance. So I can understand being attracted to that role as well. Uh, that said, um, yes, of course, it must be this Pale, who, uh, his real name is Jimmy. I, maybe they call him Pale because um, other Psychopaths pale in comparison to him. <laughs> um, he goes on and on and on about uh, somebody who beat him out of a parking space, and um, he is just a forest fire of a man. And uh, it's another way of showing to me that this is a play from long ago, because I do believe in the last third of a century we've learned a lot. Uh, well, maybe it's because I've aged a third of a century. Maybe young people need to know this. But, you know, hooking up with a guy like this um, causes more problems than you think you're going to get. Um, So it seemed to me that Lanford Wilson had the situation in the first act where um, this guy comes in and rancid raves and all that. And I do understand why Anna is drawn to him because he is Robbie's brother. And so he's the closest thing to Robbie that she can get. So I understand a one night stand all set there. People do strange things when they're grieving. Okay. However, for the long haul, we're supposed to believe that this couple is going to last, that these, these two people are going to live happily ever after. I don't see it at all. Uh, This is another one of those plays, unfortunately, movies, TV shows, where we're asked if, for the woman to choose between the slow and steady wins the race guy and the crazy guy. And, um, yes, I know that so many people are attracted to bad boys, but you know, uh, they don't last. Uh, It's just painful to see the results that will happen. if, Lanford Wilson had written a sequel to this and I'm glad he didn't because again, as Michael says, overwritten much too long, well over two and a half hours. Another way you can tell, by the way, Mm -hmm. it's not a 2019 play (laughs) because (laughs) we don't have things of that length anymore. Um, you now it's 90 minutes and out. So, um, but if he had written a sequel to this play, I doubt that these two people would be very happy for very long. Um, this guy is truly nuts, and um, I, I, he even complains about radiator noise. And uh, yeah, <laughs> so you know, he goes off and off on that too. I mean, no matter what it is, and it is amusing for a while. It is to see somebody this out of control. Somebody um, we we're all attracted to bad boys to a certain degree when we see them on stage. You know, it's fun to watch them. You know, we have no investment. And then we're just watching them. But to say that a character is going to get emotionally involved and romantically involved with something like this, I don't see it. And as a result, Burn This doesn't work for me now any more than it did in the off-Broadway production in 2002 on the original production in 1987. And again, none of this is a problem with the acting that's going on now at the Hudson Theater. I think everybody in it is quite fine.
0: I agree with all of that, and especially since you didn't mention that, aside from everything, in the last scene, or is it the penultimate scene, Pale attacks, physically attacks, and yeah. at his boyfriend. Sure. And he starts a, a physical fight with him. Mm. And, and and she sees that and then decides that she's going to go with him.
2: Oh, and also, um, the other problem is that... Um that uh, Larry, the Brandon Uranowitz character, acts Mm. as an enabler here. And I don't think that he would want to see this union succeed. Um, And uh, he really works very hard, very hard, surprisingly hard, meaning unbelievably hard, (laughs) unbelievably. Yes, that's the key word Um, to (laughs) make the union uh, succeed. And I I just don't buy that at all either. So um, after a moderately entertaining uh, and... It was certainly um, <laughs> impressive first act <sighs> to me uh, it all falls apart in the second um, so yeah but again, a lot of people must like burn this because here it is you know there aren't that many plays to get uh, three major productions in 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 a third of a century, not that many. And you know the original ran a year, <laughs> so again, it's it it, it was a po- for a play running a year that's terrific. <laughs> I mean, you know that's that's a, a popular success. So obviously, there are people who like this play. So um, don't take mine for it. For it, uh, go and make up your own mind. Uh, and um, as I always say, I'd much rather you have a good time than agree with me.
1: I really dislike this show. Uh-huh. <laughs> I really uh, and and I. Love Adam Driver and Carrie Russell. I've always been a big fan of her on television and Brandon Uranowitz. I Like you said, the the actors did really great stuff. I, I said to my wife, though, I said if they had, you know, uh, well, let's reflect back on Hades Town for a second. Now, Hadestown Town is full of incredible talent. Patrick Page and Evil Noble Zeta and even Reeve Carney and everybody involved in this are huge, huge talents, but not well-known names. They're not Carrie Russell. They're not Adam Driver. Okay. Right? Okay. If If Patrick Page and uh, somebody else wanted to do Burn This, it would never even get past the discussion stage. Right. Uh, this was only because Adam Driver is a huge star and Carrie Russell is a huge star and this the only reason why this show is back on Broadway, uh, as, as far as being t- dated and, uh, putting it in a period, uh, the, the little red phone on the wall was hysterical. Uh, <laughs> and the fact that nobody had, uh, had devices to, um, <laughs> move their story along. Uh, I, I just, this, I want this two and a half hours back in my life that mm-hmm. they, they wasted on me. Um, <sighs> I have nothing positive to say about this show. Okay. Wow. All right. Especially this time of year when we are, you know, Mm. booked up to, you know, uh, there's other major shows, Broadway and off-Broadway, that we have all turned down to schedule because the Burn This invitation was already set in place. and, (laughs) uh, And it's just so frustrating.
2: You should have burned your invitation.
1: Exactly. But, you know. Uh, it was great to see Adam Driver and Carrie Russell. Uh, if for any, you know, I don't know if I'd ever get a chance to see them performing on stage otherwise. So, right. uh, and Adam Driver's huge, huge, huge. Yeah. I mean, I had to look it up. Massive. Who and, and the? Uh, I uh, please forgive me. The there is this guy in the ensemble in Hades Town, which was head and shoulders above everybody else. He was huge, but. Methus. Uh, what was that? Timothy Hughes. Timothy Hughes. What a
0: yeah. good-looking guy, though. Oh my. Well, goodness. do you do you realize who he is? No, I don't. He was uh, in Frozen oh. as the. Is it that? What is that character? The Troll yeah. King.
1: Uh huh.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's funny. All right. So
1: uh, Peter and Michael got a chance to see uh, Broadway's favorite cl- couple, the Clintons, uh, with Hillary and Clinton over at the Golden Theater. So uh, Peter, tell us about Hillary and Clinton.
2: Uh, well, does anybody know how this playwright's last name is pronounced? I assume it's just Nath. I assume the H is silent. H-na- anybody? Uh, I-,
1: I have heard it. hanath Oh, Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I was going to uh, look
0: it up and I didn't get a chance. I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, well, uh, at least your intentions were good, you know. I, I didn't even think of looking it up, uh, but anyway, um, he's certainly becoming one. Right, <laughs> he's certainly becoming one of our major playwrights, uh, and um, we're very, very pleased that uh, he has a play on Broadway. Um, so, Hillary Clinton, sure. What do you think you're going to get? You're going to get Hillary Clinton. and You're going to get Bill Clinton. Um, you're also going to get. Uh, and this is hardly irrelevant to the situation you 're also going to get uh hillary clinton 's advisor now in a way uh this play would be more interesting if indeed it were about the two thousand sixteen election. It is not it 's about the um two thousand eight election uh when uh Hillary Clinton was considered pretty much of a front runner when it all began and um, out of out of nowhere came this guy named Barack Obama who uh, who took it from her. And uh, in the play, there's a lot of discussion of whether or not Barack Obama wants her as his running mate or if she wants him as the running mate. Um, Mark, um, who is her advisor, uh, wonderfully played by Zach Orth, um, who years ago gave a phenomenal performance in an off-off Broadway production of Rope phenomenal. Anyway, uh, almost it's impossible to believe it's the same guy here. Uh, Mm. He's such a good actor. Anyway, um, he certainly has his opinions and Bill Clinton has his opinions and Hillary has her opinions. And so there's plenty of conflict in this play. Yes, indeed. And um, certainly some historical um, opinions uh, in, in regard to whether or not Bill Clinton will be remembered for anything else. During his presidency, which was, you know, pretty good president. Those were pretty good times. Um, the country wasn't um, terribly angry, and uh, as it is now, and uh, he balanced economics. Budget. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, he, he, certainly, the money situation was better than it is now. But as um, it's pointed out uh, by <laughs> more than one person in this play, he's going to be remembered for one thing. And, um, her initials are ML. She's never mentioned by the way, uh, by name, but, uh, we know who we're talking about here. Um, and it, it is, um, I think very wise of Lucas, if I may use his first name since mm. I don't know his last, uh, very wise of Lucas, not to mention her by name. Um, there are plenty of implications in this play in which, um, everybody knows what's being discussed and we do in the audience as well. So, um, Wonderful Tablari Metcalf back on stage, who's quickly um, become uh, the first lady of Broadway. I, I think that's not unfair to say that. And uh, she uh, she's really quite wonderful as Hillary Clinton with all the... Um, the a, a very round character that Lucas has given her, and she certainly um, finds the curves in the round character. So uh, she's uh, grumpy when she needs to be. Um, she's seldom loving, um, and yet, you know, if... If you had gone through the public humiliation that she did, um, I doubt that you'd be terribly loving, too. This couple um, really does seem to have a million problems. And they're, the way it's set up, um, Lucas believes that uh, Bill Clinton is um, more willing to make amends than uh, Hillary Clinton is. But, of course, Hillary Clinton was the wrong person. Um Peter Francis James, an actor I've admired for the last 26 years, um, certainly starting with the production of Miss Julie at the McCarter Theater in Princeton. He was phenomenal. And that's, that's where I first noticed him. And I was delighted to see him. He may not look like Barack Obama, but he's very, very good in the it's not a big scene. Um, it's almost a tiny scene, but um, he certainly makes it count. So so this is a highly enjoyable evening. I won't be surprised if people come away wanting more than they get. Um, perhaps they wanted more fireworks. But after all, uh, people in politics learn to be diplomatic, and there's diplomacy that goes on in the marriage too. But um, I'd say um, a good show. If we were rating by stars, I'd say three out of four. Okay,
0: Michael, what did you think? I enjoyed it too, uh, with a lot of caveats. It was again not what I expected. This is basically a sitcom about the Clintons for for much of the play. Uh, I, I certainly didn't expect that. And um, there's a framing device that I'm I'm really not sure it was necessary. Uh, it starts with Laurie Metcalf i suppose as herself uh, with a microphone in her hand addressing the audience and actually she's kind of talking about i guess maybe you would say quantum theory uh the the concept that there are infinite uh an infinite number of possibilities in the universe, because the universe is infinite. And so uh, theoretically, there are all these other Earths uh, in which uh, things are might be completely different or somewhat different or almost the same, but slightly different. And so, uh, in other words, there might be another Earth where, for example, where Hillary won uh, the presidency in either of those two elections. And I think maybe that... um, Maybe that is there to, again, provide a sort of a distancing thing and and to set up the fact that uh, these are not necessarily supposed to be impersonations of Hillary and Bill Clinton, but that therein lies um, – one of my major problems with this. Uh, on the one hand, I really don't think we want mimicry of those two people. I think that would be very reductive and and ultimately not a good choice. But on the other hand, when you have two people who are v- so different um, in terms of look and manner and voice from the people, the historical people that they're supposed to be portraying To me, that's not a good situation either. Laurie Metcalf, uh, in terms of her uh, manner of speech, uh, the timbre of her voice, uh, her physical uh, body language, and even down to the color of her hair, uh, did not seem to me like Hillary Clinton in almost any way. And John Lithgow, although he – I would say actually bears a – Fairly decent physical resemblance to Bill Clinton. Uh, to me, one of the one of the uh, hallmarks of of the actual Bill Clinton and one of the most distinctive characteristics is that good old boy accent uh, that he had. And John Lithgow has, to me, almost the opposite of that. More of a patrician New Englandy type of accent. Uh, so I I don't. I, uh, you may completely disagree, uh, uh, but I think that the fact that they didn't have these these uh, basic qualities uh, and attributes that that those peop- two people have was a constant distraction to me, and and I almost wondered why they didn't uh, why Lucas uh, didn't write a play about two other people because I I I, I don't know why these people were trying to play the Clintons. Also, uh, I love Laurie Metcalf as an actress, but I would say that she does tend to use the same kind of speech and body language in every show that she does. She's not the kind of a great actress who uh, disappears into a role and does different accents and dialects and and uh, tries to modify her body language for different roles, at least not what I have seen. Uh, so, and that's fine. But I think there again, if you're playing someone, a specific person, that's more of an issue. Um, so, actually, to me, two of the two of the uh, the two most successful performances in this were Peter Francis James, who, although you know, certainly not a twin of Barack Obama, uh, to me certainly seemed. Um, a very plausible stand-in for him, uh, vocally and physically. And Zach Orth, I, I do not actually know this this actual character of Mark Penn, uh, Hillary's strategist. But uh, so that wasn't an issue for me in terms of whether knowing whether he fit the role in those terms. But I just thought he was terrific. Um, the direction I thought was very spotty by joe mantello and there was something about this uh briefly that that just really bothered me the set is extremely extremely spare it's supposed to be a hotel room and i don't mind spare in terms of i certainly don't need uh to see a, a a a realistically rendered hotel room in terms of the uh you know this the style of the play or because i i need to see that because it looks pretty but to me when when you don't even have furniture and which resulting in you know having a, a food tray have to be placed on the floor and when someone comes in from uh, from outside and and comes into the hotel room and has to drop their coat on the floor because there's not even a chair or a or a sofa to put it on, then that just becomes distracting. And I I don't know if that was a concept or just cheapness, but it really bothered me a lot. Um, so I had mixed feelings about this play. I also thought uh, in, the, in the middle, it's only 90 minutes, but in the middle, I thought it got kind of boring because I felt it was rehashing a lot of stuff over and over again. And it wasn't until Barack came on, uh, that I really, that they really got me back in the last, uh, half hour or so.
1: All right. So that is, uh, Hillary and Clinton, and that is a limited run. It's playing through July 21st. Also, I didn't mention that, uh, Burn This is playing through July 14th, uh, mm-hmm. right now. Uh, and Town is open-ended right now and uh a hard ticket to get, so uh, Hades town, we tried to get uh, some tickets for some friends yesterday uh, after we had seen it, and already it 's a uh, i 'm not sure if it 's uh, scalpers or if um, if it 's true demand that has scuffed up all the tickets already so next up, uh, Peter, you got down to the public theater to see Socrates, uh, so tell us about Socrates. <laughs>
2: Whoa, this has been a play that's polarized people like crazy. I mean, if you've been reading stuff online, uh, the I loved it and I hates it have been incredibly passionate. So keep that in mind. The irony while I was watching it is that I realized uh, that earlier this season I had essentially seen this play before. (laughs) At that point, it was called "A Man for All Seasons because it's very similar to that. Socrates gets himself in trouble with the law. People don't like what he's saying. Uh, they're going to put him to death. His wife in, begs him not to do it, uh, to recant. Um, they have children. Uh, the, bo- the kids need a father. Uh, so it's very much in that template. So uh, I'm, I'm not saying that it, that should be held against it per se, but I, I do feel that uh, I was watching the same play um, all over again, which was kind of funky and funny. Um, all things considered, um, I, <laughs> after talking about the polarization, I'm, I'm somewhat in the middle. Uh, almost on everything here, um, yes, there are plenty of monologues, um, plenty of um, he said, he said type things, because we are dealing with um, people of uh, great note. Um, Aristotle shows up here. Plato shows up here. Very much so, in fact. Um, Alcabides um, shows up here, too. So we have a lot of great Athenians here um, in this era of way back when. And um, Douglas Hughes does a very nice job of, um, let's say, choreographing them uh, on stage, a lot of pretty stage pictures uh, of these people. And um, Socrates is (laughs) almost always right. You'll find yourself agreeing with him in the way that he um, makes his arguments, and you really feel bad that um, he's just considered dangerous. Um, The way uh, we hear um, the lyric, he is dangerous in Jesus Christ Superstar. That's what's really going on here, and people fear him because he certainly won't keep his mouth shut, and he's very courageous in that way. Um, So uh, this really demands a powerhouse performance, and Michael Stuhlbarg uh, gets it. Um, I, I... there was just uh, let's say a minus okay, um it really is um a, a damn good performance, and yet um I just saw Mandy Petekin in the role, and I saw him doing it uh, with far more passion. maybe the whole point of it was not to have passion the socrates uh, well i don't know what we know about Socrates, but that um that he was more mild-mannered in the way he delivered uh, more matter-of-fact in the way he delivered it um michael stupac's performance is very consistent uh he's a believable human being but um i wanted him to tear the place up and that might be um, a, a mistake on my part but um that's that's certainly what i felt nice nice performances by the supporting cast tigle Bougier, who's uh, we've uh, really admired since he did the tempest on broadway well, about 25 years ago is plato so he's terrific uh peter j fernandez who i'm always uh, glad to see has two roles so um robert joy uh who uh, a wonderful actor who uh, we haven't seen in a while too um has three roles and uh really um it's a talky play you'd expect that from socrates wouldn't you very talky, and I do believe that's one of the reasons why people get bored with it. I had heard people were walking out in droves. Believe me, I turned around in intermission to see who was there and who was not. My audience was uh, stayed. I saw two empty seats, which may have even been empty before um, I got there. But uh, – but, uh, and the, the applause at the end was very heartfelt, and not just uh, because Michael Stubart has a big role here, a big role. Uh, he's the one who's always talking. Other people come in and give their arguments, and <laughs> then stop talking while he continues. Another character comes in, gives an argument. And he so so it's a lot of part here that he has to deal with. And um, and again, um, <laughs> credit where it's due. Let's let me look at the glasses more than um, more than more than more than half full and say that um, he he's quite good. But I don't know. There's a resemblance to Mandy Patanca that maybe miss him tremendously.
1: Okay. So that is Socrates Down at the Public playing through May 19th. I forgot to say during Hillary and Clinton that uh, Peter had talked about uh, Lori Metcalf coming back to Broadway. Well, she's already scheduled to come back to Broadway again in yeah. 2020 and Who's Afraid of yeah. Virginia Woolf. That yeah. was announced uh, this week. So we'll get a chance to see Lori again, and we'll get to see Wolf again.
0: So, um, she does not apparently subscribe to the theory of um, uh, taking breaks. <laughs> <laughs> I have a, someone who's a, a good friend of Judith Light, uh-huh. who I love, and apparently Judith is, is very uh, conscious of the fact that she. Doesn't want to come back, quote unquote, too often, because she thinks then people start to, you know, kind of take, yeah, uh, ex- sure. you know, take her for granted. And I think that's very wise. I think maybe Lori's well, to, for, to me, maybe she's doing a little too much too quickly. But that's obviously a matter of opinion.
1: Well, yeah, the Michael Caine school of uh, choosing jobs. Ah, you know, right. Uh, <laughs> I, I I can't imagine. Uh, as somebody uh, uh, who I, I really enjoy what i do i, I can't i can 't imagine taking a break i i, yeah. I, I really
2: can'm i'm inclined to say that too <laughs> so but
0: it's yeah but there's
2: uh, what, you, your own
0: fulfillment and uh, the the larger picture of how audiences are responding if you you know if you bear like every season. I mean that's you know uh, it's again it's just
2: a matter of opinion. well the great stage stars used to do that uh, they used to have a new play every season I mean we even get that impression from All About Eve that yeah uh, you yes. know, so yes. uh, so it, it, and especially in the era when plays didn't run that long you know so uh, so so I do think that's part of it as well yes
1: huh I wonder did uh, Bob Fosse Gwen Verdon ever take a break
2: uh sure sure um certainly um uh, Gwen Verdon finished doing sweet charity in 67 and um the next time we saw her was 8 years later in chicago of course she was um getting older then and dancers as we learned from chorus line uh, you know the bodies were out quite fast um yeah but really when you do think of it when she was young um certainly Gwen Verdon um what is it 52 for or can can 55 uh, for damn Yankees, um, 57 for new girl in town, 59 for redhead, you know, really, uh, it, it was just that after that, uh, there were big breaks, uh, and Fosse, yeah, Fosse loved to work. Um, certainly. And, uh, had more, uh, time, um, to do it. Um, given the fact that of course he was a director choreographer and, um, his body didn't have to suffer the same type of indignities as, um, as a dancer does. So, uh, but anyway, it's a nice lead in. And I'm sorry I answered your question. That's what it really was supposed to be.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry
2: I answered <laughs> your question. You were thinking the same thing, right? I, I understand. You no,
1: know, no. I thought that that was much more interesting uh, of that. But, you know, to get back on track here, somebody else who is nonstop is uh, Lynn Manuel Miranda. <laughs> who, uh, and we've got this, uh, Fossey Verdon, uh, eight episode series, uh, based upon Sam Wasson's, uh, Fossey biography. So, uh, Michael, you got a chance to, uh, see a screener. So tell us about this.
0: Yes, I have not seen the first two episodes, but the third episode was screened at the 92nd Street Y on Thursday, April 18th, with, uh, one of the executive producers, Lynn Manuel Miranda, in attendance, along with uh, Joel Fields and Stephen Levinson, uh, who are uh, writers and executive producers of the show, plus Nicole Fossey, daughter of Bob Fossey and Gwen Verdon, plus. Thomas Kale, who directed, uh, well, let's see what exactly, director, executive producer of the series, and Sam Rockwell and Michelle Williams. So this was a, quite uh, a story panel, Sam Rockwell and Michelle Williams play Fossey and Verdon. Uh, so I uh, I was really happy to be there. This was a very, very tough ticket. Uh, certainly in in the, uh, in the New York City, in the theater community, this this series is a, a, a tremendous uh hit and and has been the subject of much 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 discussion and people are absolutely loving it i uh, based on the third episode which i saw um, i would say it had you know there are there are capitals I could make a little criticisms of it, but I'm so thrilled that it's happening at all that I don't even want to mention uh wh- whatever minor criticisms I might have. I think it's really quite wonderful and amazing um the uh The third episode that I saw focused on uh actually the period like around uh, i guess 71 72 where uh Fossey is he has started to edit the film of cabaret and at the at the same time uh, gwen verdon is g- going into uh to do a straight play on broadway called children children and um the uh and the the, the wonderful surprise of this episode that was that we had uh, two people show up uh, who we all know and love from the stage. One was Jeremy Shamos, the wonderful Jeremy Shamos, who played Joseph Hardy, the director of Children, Children. And he had a really good part in this episode. And we see him really giving uh, – Gwen a, a pretty tough time in in rehearsals. I mean, not not letting her off the hook b- by any means. Not treating her like a star. Just giving her lots of notes, and and uh, some might even say excessively riding her to give a good performance. And also in this episode was Santino Fontana um, as. James Hennigan, uh, who was Verdon's first husband. And, and in this, uh, I don't, uh, I don't know if this will be a spoiler. There might be a semi-spoiler coming up. Uh, what we see here is that, uh, he meets her when she's very young, very young, 17, I believe, uh, at, uh, at her uh, supposed to be her home I believe and she's performing for people and uh, James Hennigan is introduced to her as a as a theater critic and someone who can help her career and the next thing we see he's very very aggressively trying to get her to have sex with him which he succeeds in doing and then she becomes pregnant and then we see uh, that the marriage is pretty much a, almost shotgun marriage and it did not last long but it did result in uh in the birth of her son. Uh, So that was really fun to see Santino Fantano, who of course is on Broadway right now in Tootsie uh, in this very small, but pivotal role. Um, I think the production values of this series are quite impressive. And uh, I think the script is very smart uh, for the most part. And the acting is great. And I'm going to have to, you know, obviously uh, figure out a way to go back and see the first two episodes and then catch up with the whole thing. Eventually it would be um, a great uh, series for binging. And it's a nice length for that because it's eight episodes in total. Um, I had some issues with the nonlinear aspect of the storytelling, but just a little bit. Uh, I, 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 there, it was occasionally confusing, but I do think that it made it richer overall. So I, uh, I have almost nothing but good things to say about this series, and it was quite something to be there and and hear the creatives and the stars talk about it. The audience was in bliss because there are some you know pretty big stars up there. and uh, but you know they're all they're not just stars, they're really, really smart, really smart and talented people, and it was quite an evening.
2: Well, I haven't seen any of it because I am going to binge. I'm going to wait until uh, they're all aired, and then I'm going to uh, hunker down for a for a long day's journey into night. But uh, mm-hmm. a couple of observations here: uh, you can imagine by surprise when I came out of my apartment one day, and there are movie trailers there in front of parked in front of my. Uh, <laughs> building and um there uh, suddenly is um a, a star on the door and it says joe hardy and uh this <laughs> a, yeah, so the, and ironically enough now i have to wonder if it's <laughs> the, the, the ball player joe hardy and Yaki and joseph hardy um the director of children and children but <laughs> the point is they've been parked on my street a lot and what i find very interesting is that um we see the word bob on the trailer the gentleman who's playing Bob Fosse, got his real name, and um, Gwen. uh, So the point is that people won't stand around waiting for Michelle Williams to show up. You know, they Mm. use those names. However... What a surprise to see Russ Brown's name. Russ Brown um, played Van Buren in the original Damn Yankees and, uh, and introduced the song You Gotta Have Heart. So, uh, so so would I have ever believed I would have come out of my apartment to see Russ Brown's name, you know, not an actor who many people remember, um, despite his marvelous uh, performance both in uh the stage show and of course the movie which used most of the original cast uh whenever it really could so so that was kind of funky as well to to see that happening um uh, interviewing gredver years ago is one of the highlights of my life and um she was so wonderful and i'll never forget when i i ran out of questions and i didn't know what to say and so i said um Uh, is is doing a a, a straight play much easier than doing a musical and she said, of course it was so wonderful the way she said it uh, but I'll tell you, you know, it was really something, um, that was the first year I was president of the Drama Desk Awards and a previous president really wanted to see me fail because everybody say, oh, it isn't as good as when she was doing it because it was my job to get people to perform at the ceremony And, and I wasn't having an easy time of it, but I was getting so well, along with Gwen Verdon that I said to her, um, um, listen, Uh, su- Sunday Sunday night, could you uh, <laughs> come to the um, Rainbow Room? Would you present an award? And she said, of course, just as readily as she said, of course, to my stupid question. And, you know, so many times these people want cars, they want all that kind of stuff. And, you know, they're entitled for that matter. She got there on her own, and I'm telling you, the woman who wanted to see me fail did not get to see me fail, because Gwen Verdon was there, and she never got anybody as good to present when she was doing it. (laughs) So bless you, Gwen Verdon, for helping me uh, (laughs) so much during that period of time. And I have to say, I only saw her once, and that was opening night of Sweet Charity. Um, Because when I saw Chicago, she was out, and I saw Liza Minnelli. I'm not complaining, but um, it is. I, I guess I have to be grateful that I at least saw her once.
1: All right. So um, before we wrap up for the morning, uh, we had news this week that Georgia Engel has passed away. And uh, Michael, you wanted to say something about Georgia?
0: Oh yes, I, I you know I, I loved her so much, uh, as I think many of us did. I um, last time I saw her on stage was I guess was it just about a year ago in halftime at. Uh, paper Mill, and uh, that show I didn't love it overall, but I'm so glad I went uh, because there were pretty fabulous people in it, including Lilius White uh, and Donna McKechnie and Georgia Engel. And uh, of course, I had no way of knowing it would be my last time seeing Georgia on stage, but that uh, was the case. I, um, I I may have told the story before that the first time I became aware of her was when she played Minnie Fay in. Hello, Dolly, opposite Apple Merman. And she was so adorable in that role. Uh, I, you know, when she came on stage, uh, you, you you kind of knew uh, that she had this amazing star presence, but in, in a different way than so many other people, That with that tiny uh baby like soft voice uh that she still managed to be heard but you 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 had to really hone in on it and i think that actually you know she brought you into her rather than than throwing the character out at you. Uh, not many people can do that in a big Broadway theater, but she definitely had that talent. And uh, then, of course, she went on to great fame and success on TV, uh, most famously in the Mary Tyler Moore show as Georgette. Um, and uh, the, uh, I guess the only other thing I wanted to say was, I may have told this story as well, that a few years ago, there was a one-night performance of Ragtime on Ellis Island, uh, as 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 a uh, sort of a, a trial balloon for uh, for a, uh, an installation that they uh, they would like to do there permanently. I don't know if they're still talking about that. And uh, Georgia played the tiny tiny role. I think one line of Houdini's mother, and in fact, her one line is in German, I believe. But it just so happened that um, I took the subway, <laughs> home uh-huh. and and she was was on it with a with a male companion, and I got to. To tell her about how I saw her way back in in Dolly and and how much I loved her and and uh, how great it was to see her in Ragtime and she said uh, and she said something like, "Well, I felt so silly up there saying that one line." <laughs> And I said, well, uh, you know, it just was great to have your presence. And it was a wonderful gift for the audience on top of the rest of that wonderful performance. So uh, so she will be missed. She was really a unique talent.
1: All right. So that wraps it up for the morning. Before we get on to trivia, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayRadio.com. There's a subscribe link that way each and every time we have a new episode of this week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to iTunes for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us in iTunes or Apple Podcasts. You can listen to us in many ways. iHeartRadio plays us. TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere that you can listen to. Find our podcast, you can get to Broadway Radio. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found at the show notes at BroadwayRadio.com as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today, including the links to Billboard on Broadway, the Town episode, and the Town episode at Bottomless Broadway that talked about the uh, genesis of... Uh, of Hades town and and the various uh, incarnations along the way. All right, so Peter, do you have an answer to last week's trivia?
2: Well, the question was: Two Tony losing musicals began with the orchestra playing a song that had actually been dropped from the score before the Broadway opening. What are the shows and the name of the songs? Well, *Follies* had "All Things Bright and Beautiful," and four years later, Chicago opened with "Loop in the Loop." Both songs did not survive in the shows, so that's the answer. Carrie, if this were the Olympics, Carrie Winslow would have got the gold medal. Tony Genaki the silver. <laughs> <laughs> and Robert, Lo- Robert Lobiondo, the brass. So uh, that's how it played out. I'm going to give two questions this week because one of them is so murderously hard uh, that I really feel it's unfair. I'm just curious to see if anybody could possibly get it. But then I'm going to give one that I think is far more reasonable. OK, here's the impossible one. And it comes because I was reading a book that where this information came up and I was amazed to see it. So anyway, two famous real life stars who were immortalized in two hit, though Tony losing musicals, were actually roommates when they were on tour in Mm. a review. That review was very much mentioned and even homaged in a song and scene in the later of the two musicals. Who were the star roommates, their bio-musicals, and the show they were in together? Okay, impossible. I agree. Uh, I'm ashamed (laughs) to have given it. So here's the easy one. What musical has a song that spells out the letters of the alphabet, but only 25 of them are in English? And what's the song?
1: Okay, if you have an answer to that, uh, email us at trivia at com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway.
2: Bye-bye. Bye. Because we have and they have not. My children, my children, because they want what we have got. Because we have and they have. That they should want. My children, my children, what do we have that they should want?